everyone, and welcome to Writers Drinking Coffee. This is a podcast based on writers sitting around, drinking, talking about writing, publishing, and the whole creative process. We do not censor ourselves, so consider us PG-13. Your hosts today are Chaz and Karen Brenchley and me, Jeannie Warner. This is episode 55, an interview with the Duchess of Fantasy. Welcome, Alma Alexander. Hi. How did you get the title Duchess of Fantasy when I was out looking and seeing all of your works that you've done and all the, I saw over and over again, Duchess of Fantasy. Tell us a story. Well, you you have to be known as something in this industry. And as it happens, the Duchess is real. My father found an old, old, old um, archive material book, which I eventually translated, which tells a story of an ancient battle, which you might even have heard of, in which one of my ancestors distinguished himself, and for his service he got rewarded by said dukedom. Um, this was back in, 13, in the 1300s. So um, the dukedom carried on quite happily during the medieval years, and it sort of rattled along, and then eventually it disappeared, and so did the, the ducal family, but I'm the direct lineal descendant of this, and I am therefore the duchess. I've actually got a coat of arms and everything. That's, well, that's fantastic. Awesome. <laughs> so when we all go to a life of piracy, you can give us a letter of mark, right? I can do that, yes. And, oh. Oh, I, want one. I want a letter of mark from you. That would just be awesome. It totally would. And I was going to say, so which you did not... Which is why I tend to turn up in various podcasts with a tiara on my head these days. And if I go to a con, and people who, who are in the note and to greet me in the corridors with hello, your grace, which mystifies everybody else. <laughs> well, every Tuesday is tiara Tuesday. So as our webcast goes off on Tuesdays, naturally, I think all of the litners should put on a tiara and, and think of you and read your books. Absolutely. So you were born um, in Yugoslavia, as was, correct? Yeah. How did you come to write? Tell us a little bit about you, how you came to writing, where you, where you got started. Well, my mom always tells me not to, um, to drag my grandfather into this, but he's, it's his fault. <laughs> because he, my grandfather was a, a, poet, a published poet, and basically he had um, his um, two kids, his two daughters, who were both readers but not writers and uh, when I turned up and fell into language head first and he realized that I was the heir he basically lifted up his hands into the sky and said thank you God but um, when I was five when I was five years old he used to read me his poetry he used to read me his sonnets and I was five years old I could barely get two words together myself but I looked at him and I said grandpa that doesn't scan <laughs> and he and he kind of went, oh, come on, you little whippersnapper, you don't know anything about And he looked at it and he said, damn it, it doesn't scan. <laughs> to this That's day, if you give me the first line of anything, I can write you a sonnet in five minutes because it's in my blood. <gasps> We've, we're going to have to have you back when we do another poetry day because that sounds like a challenge that, that must be thrown down. <laughs> okay, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> If, if I can just get the first line and get the rhyme scheme going, I can just do it like this because it's his, it's, it's his heritage. He gave me that. He gave me language. He gave me language with both hands and wrapped my heart around it. So uh, I've got a Alma, I have a challenge for you. It's yeah. an Iron Poet challenge. Take a well-known sonnet, one of Shakespeare's, uh, I Met a Traveler from an Antique Land, any of those well-known. Take the last word of the sonnet of each line, of each line last word of each line in the sonnet and write your own sonnet 
<laughs> okay. Not right now, not this second. But I'm just writing down the challenge, that's all. Okay. We'll get her ready for I it when it comes write back down. Do you know do you know what a Sistina is? Yes. Yes. I've written those. Oh. See, I I have actually I am a poet myself. My very first sale was a really bad poem when I was twelve. And um and so I actually I I I have written I actually was the bard of the mists in the SCA a couple of times and that kind of thing. <laughs> a lot of poetry and um, of various sorts and various timelines and stuff. And I will tell you, Sestinas are hard. <laughs> so that are, you, I'm going to pause one they second. Are damn they're damn near impossible. If you, if you pick the wrong words, you just can't do it. I exactly. just wanted to throw out for all of the listeners that don't know about Sistina Forum, it's a repetition of six end words of the first stanza through a different number of forms. So like A, B, C, D, E, F are six stanzas, and then F, A, E, B, D, C, then C, F, D, A, B, E. We'll throw up a link to it so you can all go look up and realize how incredibly hard these kind of poems are. Oh, it is, it is. And a good tornado at the end. While, while we're still on the subject of poetry, uh, one of the things that I'm really, really terribly proud of, um, when I, I wrote a sort of a cycle of poems, um, about six of them, um, called Going Home, and they're different, different poems about the sort of same thing and kind of adding to each other. And I, I can send you a link to that eventually, I think, probably. But eventually that got to the attention of somebody, and I don't know how. And I got this letter in the mail. And it said, um, we, are, we are doing this um, promotion poster for the Mercury 13. You know who they were, the first 13 women astronauts? Yeah. We're doing this promotion poster for the Mercury 13, and we'd like to use your poem to quote on it. May we do so? And I kind of signed NASA. And I kind of sat down and cried. <laughs> yes, that is so cool. Wow. I'm also a space geek, so, you know. That is wow! I'm okay. I'm so jealous. You you keep rising and rising in my esteem. You're on the so just saying, I've got that puppy friend. Yeah, that's great. I was going to say, you did a big thing in historical fantasy, The Secrets of Jen Shi, which is published all over the world right now, right? And it's yeah, sick, and it's secret so far. Now, is that fantasy China? Is that like in Romance of the Three Kingdoms time, or when roughly is it set? Imperial China, um, indeterminate. Um, it was just inspired by the Imperial China background kind of thing. I didn't set it in a particular dynasty as such. However, the sequel to that, which is another standalone novel, but it follows on 400 years after The Secret of Jinshe, which is The Empress of Heaven, uh, that is set um, pretty much in a, a sort of equivalent, rough equivalent of the Cultural Revolution. Ah. And if you never know the reason why nobody had written the Cultural Revolution fantasy before, it's because you can't invent half the stuff that happened. <laughs> I mean, oh. I was doing a bunch of research. I must have read 40 books to, to write one. Um, I, I was just sitting there reading. There was a pile of stuff that I was reading for this thing. And I couldn't use half of it because, my God, what the things people do to people. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I was, I was doing some research on Romance of the Three Kingdoms myself, and just looking at the geopolitical changes over a very short amount of time were, oh, dear Lord, this is true. <laughs> it's, it's a fun video game, but when you really get into it, there's a lot of disenfranchisement and good and bad and constant warring and what a mess. 
Well, I got, apparently, I, I kind of, I tend to create my own little genres because no one knows what the hell to do with me. Um, uh, in this one, in one of the reviews, I got, well, I got landed with, she wrote a feminist fantasy, and I was like, what the hell is a feminist fantasy? But okay, because I've got eight, uh, eight uh, strong female characters as the leads, and all of a sudden it's a feminist fantasy, okay. I, I got to presume that's just because you didn't have boy main characters and that freaks them out sometimes. I'll tell you a very funny story. I did a reading for this, The Secrets of Jin Shea. I did a reading for this in a bookstore and in walks a cadre of maybe five teenage boys. And I'm kind of going, this is not my demographic. What are they doing here? And I, and I start reading, and as soon as they realized that Jin Shea was, in fact, something that was not, um, I don't know, martial art, that was full of girl cooties, they got up to a man jack of them and marched out in a hurry. <laughs> oh, wow. Oh, wow. They missed out. They missed out. Totally. Now, I have a, that you wrote an epistolic novel with your husband, and an epistolic novel, for, for those that aren't aware of what they are, those are letters written by letter making up a novel so if I was writing dear Chaz oh my god the things I got done today and that's a chapter <laughs> and then Chaz writes back oh Jeannie I got your letter and as I was busy on doing the sink so tell us about the one you wrote with your husband because I well, love your first story of all, first of all we were on two different continents when we wrote this thing I was in New Zealand he was in Florida so were you married we were yet, or was this romance? No, this was before we got married. Um, but but we were, this was essentially directly opposite. Basically, I would write my thing and go to bed, and he'd wake up and write his thing and send it to me, and I'd wake up and pick it up. It was, it was being written 24 hours a day simply because we were completely opposite diurnally. Wow. We, we wrote emails to each other in character, and um, I think that it might have been the first email epistolary novel ever written um, okay. but um, we wrote we kind of just put on the character wrote at least that's the way I did it I just put on the character like a second skin and wrote the email in that character he's much more careful than I am as a writer he kind of planned his emails he plotted them I don't I just wrote the email um, this is what I was thinking this is what I was doing this is this is the character's head this is the email this is what was going on tell us about and, the characters uh, the characters were um, well, essentially, this was all in the middle of our uh, getting meeting each other in this uh, writing group in, on Usenet, which is where we met. So the characters were in a writing group on Usenet, which is where they met. Um, and they um, actually he had a more difficult uh, task than me because all I had to do was write my thing, write my heart, write my soul. He had to write the American character who would be converted by me. Oh, okay. <laughs> although he already agreed with me, but he had to write a character who didn't initially agree with me in what I was what I was writing about. But I just wrote this 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 outpouring of I love the city where I was born. I love it. I was I grew up on the the banks of the Danube, and to this day I see that thing and I just weep. Um, I can't listen to the first notes of the beautiful blue that blue Danube without crying because this is my river, mine. <laughs> Yes. Um, there was a moment where uh, when we went back, I took him back to see it, and all the bridges were gone, and they had established a little kind of ferry system, little little dinky boats that were going back and forth across the two um, sides of the river, and we got into this, this little boat to cross, and I actually reached out, and you know, this is really kind of weird and, and almost 
scary because I'm sitting there now on the river and all my life I had it drummed into me, the whirlpools, this is going to eat you, this thing is dangerous, this thing is deadly, this thing is a god. And I'm sitting there in, in this little cockle shell boat and I've got my hand out and I want to the river and I can't do it. My hand is covering above the water and shaking and I can't touch it because I dare not. This is the God. Oh, wow. That's I mean, this is my river. It means so much to me. Yeah. I did an anthology um, a couple of years back where I had the idea that it wouldn't be, I, I, as an editor, it wouldn't be a, a table of contents. It would be a map of contents and the stories would land on certain parts of the river. Is that your River and Children of a Different Sky? No, Children of a Different Sky is a different anthology. The River was the one before that. Mm. But um, the River anthology is just so special to me. It just is because, I mean, I wrote the foreword to that, and it explained what I felt. There's really only one river So everywhere. I mean, what what kind of stories were in the anthology? I mean, who, 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 that sounds really fascinating. Who, who was in it? Who, what did, in what kind river? Of, yeah. Hold on a second. I'll just get a copy and tell you exactly who was in it. Okay. Sorry. It's, uh, so who was in it? Well, it was a, a New Zealand writer called Mary Victoria did the first one. And then Irene Radford was the second one. Tiffany Trent was number three. Jay Lake was number four. Ah. Kathy McCurley was number five. Deb Tabor, J.C. Bedford. Joshua Palmatier, Brenda Cooper, Shona McGuire, Ada Milinkovic-Brown, Joyce Reynolds-Ward, and Lisa Shaw. Oh, wow. Wow. Well, that, sounds, that sounds like it'd be a good one. It is. We'll put a link on the uh, website to it. I, you had I one. I wrote the forward to it, so I'm in there too, kind of. <laughs> Excellent. Now, you had another one, your World Weaver series, uh, Gift to the Unmade, Spell Sam Cyberdon. I, there's a lot of stuff flinging around the internet right now about uh, certain people that wrote certain spells for kids' books. For the Harry, <laughs> for Harry Potter fans that want to find something else, I just want to say the World Weaver series might be there for it. Tell, tell us about that world you built. Well, um, originally when that thing came out, the reviewers were divided uh, on it, and half of them said this was a true original. It was, it was like nothing else. And half of them said, this is for those people who need something to follow on with Harry Potter because it's exactly the same thing. So um, you can take half of one, six, half a dozen of one, six of the other. But the point is what I wanted to do. The, the, okay, let me back this up a second. This was in 2002. I went to the World Fantasy Convention. And I went to a young adult panel, which is not really what, I, it wasn't my jam, not really. But um, there was a couple of people on the panel whom I really liked including Jane Yellen, and, and um, I was in their panel, and um, about, I don't know, 15 minutes into the panel, somebody in the back of the room foiled up a hand and said something about Harry Potter, mm. and Jane Yellen heaved a deep sigh and said, I was wondering how long before that particular elephant walked into this room. Yeah. But yeah. Um, that kind of got me going, thinking about, you know, it really was YA at that point. There was that, and there was 10 empty places before anything else. But and then I thought, you know, this was the, the very, very British fantasy about the boy who lived. And I didn't hear the rest of the panel because I was in the back of the room thinking about a very, very American fantasy about a girl who couldn't. 
She was a double seventh. She was a very, very magical seventh child of two seventh children. She was supposed to be the bee's knees. She was supposed to be able to do everything, and she can't do anything. Oh. She's basically a complete dud, and she's, she's, she's a disappointment to everybody. She hates everybody and herself, and this is terrible, this is horrible. And then during the course of these books, she discovered that she has a very special talent of her own. Oh, that's great. So and by the end of this book, I was, I was in love with Coyote because he was one of the big characters in there. I have um, never met a Coyote character that I didn't love. There's just well, something about this, him. This guy started out uh, being a sort of sidekick to a character, but then he just grew into the part, and I just fell in love with him. By the, end, by the fourth book in that series, I was just absolutely devoted to him. <laughs> And um, the other character in there whom I, um, I created from um, a palimpsest was Nikola Tesla. Oh. And he was a great deal of fun to write. And, and I eventually, um, I ended up in New York at one point when I was writing this, and I went to the New Yorker Hotel, and I actually got the room, his room. Oh, cool. Um, I actually slept in, in the room that Nikola Tesla lived and died in. Oh, Okay, I'm not jealous at all. And not I'll tell you all. something else, because this was years ago, and they don't care anymore. You know how you get electronic keys which have a little, little number on them? I didn't give mine back. <laughs> as, as you don't. There, for anybody who wasn't aware of it, Nikolai Tesla was also from Serbia, so you're countrymen there. <laughs> oh, yeah, he's my boy. <laughs> all right, that's awesome. Awesome. So you also did, I'm just sort of, I was wandering through all the different things you did. You did were creatures. How did you make your were creatures different from other people's were creatures? I, I think, you know, you know how they say there's not, there, there isn't any new ideas in the world? Well, I think I had one. Have you ever heard of a random were? I think I invented them. A um, random were? These are, these are weird critters who, are, they have a basic form which they turn into if, if all else being equal. But if they happen to be caught somewhere at, at a bad time, just before their turn, they will turn into the last warm-blooded creature they set eyes on before the turn. Oh, cool. Which That's means that things, cool. things can get rather um, upsetting because uh, my, my main character's mother happens to be a were chicken because of a nasty farmyard ah. accident. Ah. Uh, um, but um, my my uh, my first. This is actually not a trilogy. It's a triptych. It's the same events from three different points of view. Um, the first one is from Jazz, and who is a, a sort of a fourteen-year-old girl who happens to be the the leading character, and she turns into she's a, a true random, and she turns into something thoroughly unexpected and very inconvenient because at the point of her first turn, she is there with a young friend who happens to be of the opposite gender so she turns into a boy ah cool she's a weird boy oh i love it i love it that's um, what the the, the 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 other uh other is way too old for his first turn he's the oldest weird character that he hasn't turned and he's a typical sulky teenager who basically just can't handle it anymore he takes matters into his own hands and he turns himself into a wolf Excellent. And then, and then he gets involved in the, wolves, the, the wolf clan and he discovers that they are much more than they seem, that they may have been to blame for the death, or so he thought, of his other sister. And then he discovers all kinds of other things. <laughs> and the whole thing just went from there. Um, basically, I've, I've actually got these three books and they're coming out in an omnibus edition in December. And what is really uh, quite 
wonderful is that um, my my old professor. I've got a master's degree in molecular biology, and the 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 by the biochemistry and the genetics of the weird creatures is absolutely real. This can happen. This can work. <laughs> that is the best launching phrase of every mad scientist ever. This could work. <laughs> this can work. My, my, my old professor, the guy who did my master's degree, supervised my master's degree, emailed me and said, the science is as good as it gets. Oh, and um, when I was doing this, this um, omnibus edition, I emailed him and I said, would you care to write a forward? He said, sure. So, so what you're telling so me I've got, I've got an actual scientist and geneticist, molecular biologist writing a forward to my wish. No, and so what you're telling us, um, Alma, is that you are a true mad scientist. You're not just I am you, that. you I really so. are. Yeah, I am that. Awesome. So I am a mad scientist with a tiara, yeah. Perfect. <laughs> that is just that is that's incredible. I I I think that I, I bow before you. I want to be one of your subjects in your in your in, when you take over the world. <laughs> okay, let's let's <laughs> wait for that. She she doesn't want it in the shape it's in right now. Now I no. love that you wrote something that's almost a nod to fan fiction too. Abducticon. Oh yeah, whole... that's my love letter to fandom. That's that's beautiful. Tell tell us about it. It was actually. A book that I wrote, uh, and in, in a way it was my escape well, because I wrote the funniest book I've ever written while I was waiting for my father to die. Ah. Um, I, was, I was kind of waiting for him to, to just stop being sick with cancer and just stop. And, and, and I, was, I would come home and write this hysterical novel just to keep myself sane. They uh, say that that's why a lot of comedians are terribly, terribly funny. You know? Yeah, well, may may well be. Um, humor is a definite antidote to that. So I yeah. came home and I wrote this thing. And essentially, what this book is is that a whole convention, hotel and all, gets kidnapped by time traveling androids who are looking for their father. I are you it. my mommy? And they basically kidnap the entire hotel and they take it for a little jaunt around the moon. And this the, the, the way that but this is a convention, okay? This is full of science nerds. <laughs> and, oh, this whole thing is just hysterical. I mean, basically, I mean, if you had a bingo card with all the fandoms like a Star Trek and Star Wars and Babylon Five and Firefly and, and everything, you can just find little content. Okay, take this is the, the reference to that. Oh, that's marvelous. That's just marvelous. Now you have. I mean, so we've gone historical fiction, uh, modern, funny, different kinds. The second star, I, I understand John Scalzi actually posted a big thing on the second star, your science fiction book. Where did you get started? Where did, where did the, science, the second star come from? Well, um, I, every now and again, I will do something completely crazy, like wake up in the morning with a complete story in my head. Um, I've published several of those. But every how now long and does again, it, wait, wait, before you go on, how long does it take you to get them down? You wake up, you know the story. How long is your writing, does it take you to write that whole well, story in your I head? I got up at five o'clock in the morning because it wouldn't leave me the hell alone and I sat down on the computer and just started typing. Mm. But um, this particular thing turned up and I just woke up and the only thing that was on the shore of dreams, a little bit of flotsam and jetsam was a single sentence. A soul is like a starfish. I so like I it. kind of looked at that and I turned it over in my fingers and I kind of went, this is pretty. What did I do with it? Because, of course, if you take a leg off a starfish, it regenerates. They do. They do. 
And then, then I started going the what if thing. What if this and what if that and what if, oh my God, and what if this and oh my God, what if that? The whole thing just accreted like a, like a barnacle thing. It just The story just grew out of nothing. Um, and before I knew it, I had 160,000 words and oh my God, this book. I mean, it's got a little bit of everything. Somebody just described it in a recent uh, review as a science fiction psychological thriller. <laughs> <laughs> this wasn't what I was really aiming for, but okay, I'll take it. Um, it's uh, basically what my, my elevator pitch for this book was uh, Matt Ruff's Set This House in Order, which if you haven't read, you should, it's brilliant, uh, meets Carl Sagan's Contact, meets Mary Dorio's, Mary Dorio Russell's The Sparrow. Oh, wow. Yep. So um, there, there's so much in here. There's just so much in here. There's basically... What I have is, is six people who get flung out, out there in, in the Earth's first starship and something happens and their drive goes faster than it should go. So they basically age only nearly three years in the 200 years that the ship was gone. And in those 200 years, something happens that changes them, that shatters them. And they come back, like one of my characters in this book says, six people went out, more than 70 came back. Oh, wow. <laughs> Every one of them has got split personalities. Every one of them has got this multiple personality syndrome. They all came back. They were all full of different people. <laughs> there, was a, there was a comic book years ago called The Badger in which it was the first of the multiple personalities that were all completely different and even have different abilities all caught within one person. It sounds like you actually had even a more beautiful science fiction version. Did you also use molecular chemical biology here? Uh, no, because this wasn't a, a, a sort of deep dive into that. This was more of a psychological thing, more than more than more than a genetic thing. But the second star is a hint as to what this is about. What does that make make you think about? Yeah. Well, for me, what second star to the right and straight on till morning, personally. No, uh, think more fundamental than that. Think of the star that burned above a certain stable in Bethlehem. Oh. Oh, okay. Um, essentially, I'm sorry, somebody came back to me and said, oh, but it's a Christmas story. And I said, no, it's the hand grenade that gets thrown into the Christmas story. Yeah. <laughs> All right. That, that works. I'm so, actually considering sending a copy of this to the Westboro Baptist Church and then sitting back and waiting for my excommunication. I will buy that copy and so we can send it together. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> that would be fantastic. So, see, you talked about waking up. Are you, do you consider yourself then more of a pantser or more of a plotter? Or is there a possible never, answer to that? I have never plotted a book in my life. The worst thing that I have ever done is write down a timeline. The rest of it, I don't know what, what happens. I'm actually literally sitting here uh, typing something, looking at the screen going, you did what? <laughs> uh-huh. And my characters tend to, and when we're talking about the weird books, one of the characters in the weird books actually sat in my bed at night at 3 o'clock in the morning, kicking the bed, um, and, and wouldn't let me go to sleep until I agreed to the fact that he didn't say what I said he said, and at least he didn't say it in the way I said he said it, and please fix this now. And unless you do this, I will not let you go to sleep. <laughs> well, I'm that's... insane. I hear voices. Are you the other half of Chaz's medallion here? I'm starting to think. <laughs> Have you, so you've never plotted any of them out. So that's, uh, do you write them down longhand or you sounded like you were just typing madly. So you go straight into computer? I just go straight. I don't write first drafts because they're in my head. I write my second draft book. Okay. Uh, do you, 
Do you like, what's your favorite part of the process? Do you like just the sitting down and getting it all out? Or do you like the, the end? I mean, Ellen yeah, Pages was just saying she loved editing, and which is weird, but some people do. No, I don't. I, that's the part I like the least. And going back over the whole thing, going, oh, my God, what am I supposed to fix this and do that? No, I don't want to do that. I, just, I, I like telling the story. That's what I like. <laughs> but I'm lucky in that I'm, I'm married to an editor, so my first drafts always go straight upstairs and to him, and he uh, makes them manageable um, if I do make really egregious stuff. Um, well played. Well played. Except that he every now and again he throws back a manuscript with a large red line down the side of the page and all it says is fixed. <laughs> uh, so do you actually, do you have, you know, if he, you know, redlines something, do you have disagreements with him? Do you, is he generally right? Um, you know, what, you know, does this call it cause marital discord? When he's right, he's right. But when he's wrong, I tell him he's wrong in no uncertain terms. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. You're not going to believe this, but the raccoons are back. <laughs> of course they are. Raccoons like to be on the radio, too. I've, yeah. got four, I've got a family of four raccoons that have been going, coming back and forth out here now for days. And my cat, when she sees the raccoons, she just goes ballistic and throws herself against the glass. I think she thinks she can take them. Oh, dear. That She's a 12-pound cat. She's little. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. So, and, and a final one, and this is one that we ask for tools, et cetera. Have you ever used anything like Scrivener, or do you just go straight into like a Microsoft Word, or do you ever just write ideas down and scribble them in a notebook and then write it all out later? Yeah, I've got a notebook of various incoherent bits, <laughs> which I may or may not go back to. Some of them were literal dreams that I kind of wake up from and go, what the actual hell was that? Um, but... Um, what are you working on right now? Are you carrying anything around right now? Working on right now. Yes, damn it! It's another attack novel. Yay! Um, I, mean, I, I just put. I'm in the middle of promoting this one, which is just just out. And I sat down about um, three days ago, and I wrote three thousand words at a sitting of the prologue to the new book. <laughs> yes, because there's. What else are you going to do? You're bored, I'm sure. I don't know why. I don't know what kind of brain I've got, but it doesn't seem to function. There was there was one particular time in my life um, where I, I kind of came out a really really bad breakup, and um, things just died. I couldn't do anything. I couldn't write. I couldn't. Do, I just couldn't do it. I just there was just no nothing there. I was just empty. And that lasted for some nine months. Um, and then I started hearing this tiny little voice in the back of my brain saying, "Right, right." Right now, because we're all going to go insane if you don't do it. <laughs> so, so the, the sci-fi one is more of a, a autobiography. <laughs> yes. <laughs> probably. In fact, it probably very much is, because one of the split personalities is something called the poet, and that gave me license to write my poetry in, in lyrical prose. So, yeah. That's great. There you go. I was going to say, we will put links to your stories and all the other interesting things we've mentioned on our website, which is www.writersdrinkingcoffee.com. You can also find us on Facebook or Twitter. We answer email. Alma, if we have somebody ask a question of you, can we call upon you to answer it? Absolutely. Beautiful. You've been listening to Writers Drinking Coffee, a labor of love and enthusiasm put together by the hosts. Our main web support magic is brought to you by Deirdre McGaffey-Schween, and our sound engineer and backup web spider is David Welsh. Our intro music is Pretty Maid Milking a Cow, 
And our exit music is Breakfast with the Morning Person, both by Michael Engberg. You can hear more from Michael Engberg on manyhatsmusic.com. Our podcast sponsor is Jackal Designs, enabling you all to buy cool WDC swag, including Live at Mally's, All You Need is a Good Plan, and the best one, Red Coffee is the Best Coffee. And hey, thanks for listening. Thank you.